You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. So take your Bibles, if you would, guys. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. And, and by the way, uh, I thought of this after. Uh, for those of you at home, uh, you're going to be watching, you know, on Sunday morning, this is going to require you to be ambidextrous. So to log on to the business meeting, you're going to have to get off of YouTube, and then you're going to have to log on to Zoom later. We'll send the links to that kind of thing, but we want to be able to have feedback and for you at home to be able to participate in this, even though uh, you're not here physically. So anyway, so 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're hitting a couple of chapters, guys, where Paul is talking about, uh, again, defending kind of uh, the faith, but talking to a church that had some other people, they were kind of talking to the ears and just messing things up. And as I looked at chapter 10, uh, the really what, what the lesson in here for you and for me this morning is, is how do we engage our family, our friends, co-workers, people we care about when they have other people or the culture around them that they trust that has spoken all kinds of crazy lies and all kinds of junk and the stuff that's swirling around us today. How do we engage them? How do we how, how do we talk when there are all kinds of baseline issues that just are so different? Things of, of, of gender, uh, things of sexuality, issues of, 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 of salvation, issues of is God real, is he not? Who are we really as people? How do we, what is this all about? How do you talk to those in your life? How do you talk to them when they have listened and taken in, you know, these the, the thinking and the world around us? It's so not. Uh, a way of truth and does not follow and represent God. That can be incredibly frustrating, can be difficult, can be really challenging when the one you're trying to reach and speak into is your own, your own kid or your own teen, you know, comes home with different thinking and different things than what you thought you'd been building into them all of these years. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into that this morning. So read with me if you would in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, look at verse 1 in, through verse 6 is what we're going to read. We're going to look at the whole chapter today, but read verse 1 through 6 with me. Paul says this, he says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Huge thing, I didn't say this, have this in my message to share, but when you're, we're engaging people that are struggling and confused and they believe things that were like incredulous, like how could you begin to believe that? Paul says, I'm appealing to you in meekness and gentleness, not anger, not a manipulation, not harshness, but gently. He says, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. We're not going to read the passage in a minute, but some of the people talking to the Corinthians are like, yeah, Paul is just a pussycat. He's just, he's, he's easy in person. But man, when he's away, that's when he comes on like a tiger. He's like schizophrenic. There's just something going on with him, and you can't trust him. They were kind of talking smack, if you will, about Paul. And so Paul's picking up on that. He goes on, he says, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against someone or some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. They were accusing, they were saying they were apostles like Paul and that Paul's just following human wisdom. He's just following his own common sense and logic. You can't listen to him. Paul says, we know we're being accused as, uh, to be people who are following our own thinking. 
But he goes on in verse 3 and he says, For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, in this physical life, the world in which we live, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Our, our war is different. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. They're not of this world. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and to take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Hey, pray with me, would you guys? Father, I pray that you would help us to grasp the truth in these verses and these words. Lord, I believe that we live in a day where we are really at a, a, a clash of values, of, of lifestyles, um, not so much branding issues, but issues that spring out of, of the truth and out of uh, what is real and what is uh, right and honest. And God, as, as Christians, it is it's difficult to engage and to talk with people more and more. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from Paul. This is not the first time that, that Christians or your followers have had to live in such a way. Daniel did in Babylon, and, and Paul did as well uh, in Rome. And, Lord, we're, we're doing it today in our world. So help us to glean and gain insights. Help us to have encouragement, have confidence, and to, to really be able to wage the war as it should be. Father, I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, as followers of Jesus, if you know Jesus Christ, God puts a desire in our heart to, to share his truth, to share his love, to help others to know him. Each of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life, each of us who've surrendered to that gospel have done so because somebody else was willing to invest in us. Somebody else was willing to take time. Somebody else was willing to pray. Somebody else was willing to translate the Bible. Somebody else was willing to share with us, to live before us, to help us to move to a place where we had ideas and things that were not true that were not real and we were focused in on ourselves. And God, through those individuals and through those circumstances in our life, brought us to the place where we saw the sweetness of Jesus, that we realized that without him, that our life and our heart is black and that we, that we are, are lost, that it's and we're corrupted, that we need him to clean us. And we surrendered our life to him. And so God puts that desire in us to kind of, if you will, pay it forward, pay it on to the, the next person and the next person. And as you know, we focused on the Hoosier one. And there's four principles here that, that I think are important for us as we try to do that because it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get exasperated. It's easy to, to give up hope. I'm like, well, what's the use? They just, they're not going to listen or this or that kind of thing. And these four principles will hopefully help us along the way. So the, the first thing is, is that we need to expect there to be challenges and obstacles. We need to expect that. We shouldn't be surprised. And, and when we run into those in conversations, whether it's a teenager in our home, whether it's a close friend at college, whether it's our roommate, whether it's a, a, maybe a spouse or a family member or friend, we should expect there to be obstacles. We should expect objections. We should expect those challenges, but we should not give up along the way. You know, it's significant as Paul is writing to them, 
Paul, Paul was a spiritual father to this church. He was the one who went and shared the gospel and spread the gospel to these people. He was, he was their spiritual dad, if you will. And here he is with his own kids having to defend himself. They had begun listening to the others around them, listening to the culture, listening to people who were talking in their ear. They were undermining his authority, undermining his love, undermining his care. It's not a very big stretch, mom and dad, to think about your role and my role with the kids in our home. And then they go off to wherever, and even if they, they, they grow up and, and they get exposed to all kinds of ideas, they're like, where in the world, why, why would you be, think that? Why? why? And, and they get pulled and yanked away. And something that we need to realize, whether that's a scenario that's come into your mind in your world or something else, or maybe you've got a parent that you're trying to help to understand the truth. Maybe you're the one that discovered the truth after you, you grew up and moved away and you're trying to help them to engage that, is that we should not become exasperated along the way. We shouldn't give up. We shouldn't throw in the towel. We should expect these things. We should expect the, the thoughts and the arguments that Paul talks about here, the, the thinking in verse 5 that we run into these arguments and, and opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God, that it's, it's a normal part of our life. As I talk among Christians and, and among followers of Jesus, I think we live in a day where it's easy to be discouraged as we run into those things. You know, so many will say, well, I come to church because that charges me up and it fills me up. And then I kind of go back into the world all week long and I, and I need that boost. And that can become a reality. But I want us to realize is that we cannot, we dare not throw in the towel in those conversations, in those relationships. We dare not give up. Paul is going back and he's speaking. He's wise in how he's approaching them. And there's some significant and subtle but significant things here. He's not giving up with them. He's not argumentative, but he's not just throwing them off and like, well, kids, you're just, you're dead to me. If you're not going to listen to what I'm going to say, then, then forget you. He's just not, he's not getting into all of that. He's not giving up on them. So the first step is that if you've been in, you have some of those individuals in your life that you've just kind of ignored or given up, then this morning you can't. We don't ever give those up. We don't ever write them off. We instead, we expect those difficulties. We expect to run into ideas and thoughts and values and mindsets and worldviews that are against God, that do not line up with Him and His truth and the reality of the world around us. And so we don't give up hope in that. Second thing I want us to recognize is that we need to recognize and engage the spiritual battle. Paul says, he's like, these people are saying that, you know, that we're just coming up with our own logic, our own philosophy of life and ministry, that they're claiming to be the true followers of God and, and they're attacking us. Paul hit those issues head on, but he goes on, he says, that's true. We are living our life on this earth and in the flesh. How else are we going to live it? But our warfare, our, the way we walk, our engagement is not with the resources that we have at our fingertips. It's not with our own thinking and our own mind and our own speaking and our own abilities. We actually wage a warfare very differently. You see, Paul reminds us that we are really in a spiritual battle. He tells us that, that our warfare is not of flesh in verse 4. 
But we have a divine power to destroy strongholds. There, is, there are many flavors of Christianity out there today. It's kind of like going to, you know, Stewart's. You can go pick up your flavor of the week that's on sale, or you can go to your old standby that you, ever, that you like with the ice cream. Like, I, I like ice cream, I must admit. So I kind of go back to that for illustrations. Like fishing, I like ice cream, I like other things too. But then, like, like the Christian faith, you can, there are many varieties, many flavors of it that's out there. Some, I think, are more closer to the truth than others, um, and, and some are just little differences. You might want vanilla today, and might want chocolate tomorrow, if you will. But there's one flavor out there that is, that is mixed politics and patriotism with their Christian faith to where almost the hope of, of heaven and the Messiah gets placed in the earthly side of things. And what Paul is telling us is, is that, guys, our warfare is not with individuals. It's not with nations. It's not with politics. Oh, we're in a spiritual fight for sure. But our fight is not a physical fight. We don't need to take up arms. We don't need to hit the streets. We don't need to go march on the Capitol or those kinds of things. In fact, Paul in 1 Timothy tells us we're to pray for our leaders to pray for their souls for salvation, pray that we might have freedom to live our lives as Christians. But the warfare that he's talking about, this is a spiritual warfare for the minds and hearts of the people in our lives. That what should have our attention the most is to help the people around us to discover the grace and hope that's in Jesus Christ, to discover the depths of the depravity of their sin, that they might turn and find the solution of Jesus as their sin solution. And so Paul tells us that, that we are in a war, but it's not a physical war of this world. It's not a, a war of this kingdom. If we're not careful, we make the same mistake that the early apostles made, thinking that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come, and, and, that, that, and, and, and the other Jews made this mistake too, and they thought that God was going to set up his visible earthly kingdom while they were there. They were looking for a conquering hero to walk, ride in on a white steed and save the day. And Jesus had to remind them over and over and over again, guys, my kingdom's not of this world. I'm doing something different. Yeah, that's going to come later, but today, I'm working on a kingdom in people's hearts. In fact, you remember the story with Peter when Jesus was arrested in the garden. He takes out the sword and either he had a bad aim or the guy ducked, but he ends up cutting the guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, put the sword away. What, what are you doing, Peter? What, this isn't the kind of fight that we need to be fighting. So we are in a war, but it's a spiritual warfare. And our, our enemy is none other than Satan himself. Throughout 2 Corinthians, Paul has been making reference to him. You see, in chapter 4, the Bible says that the enemy, Satan, has blinded the eyes, blinded the minds of people all around us so that they do not know God and that they cannot discover God of their own accord. In chapter 12 or 11, we're going to look at it in a couple of weeks, he tells us that, Paul says in, in, in verse 2, he says, I betrothed you to one husband. I married you to present you as a, pervert, a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul says, guys, your thinking is off. 
He's deceived and tricked you and fooled you, and that's his game. You see, when you and I are talking to those in our families, with our own kids, and even with one another, that we're all still vulnerable to the lies of the enemies around us. We're vulnerable to that thinking, to those value systems, to the underneath the lifestyle that seems innocuous or seems in common sense in the world around us to be an okay lifestyle. But when you drill down through it and you kind of get to the root of it and the core of it, it is against God. It's anti-God. It's anti-truth. It's not what's best and helpful and healthy and honorable and good and right. And so Paul says that we have an enemy, and that, but that we have a spiritual weapons in which to fight that enemy. Sometimes I feel like, as, as, especially lately as followers of Jesus, that we can feel defeated. I hear that. Not so much those words, but I hear it in the attitude and the mindset. And we feel discouraged and we can feel despairing in things. I want you and I to recognize that even though we have an enemy that has blinded the, the minds of people, of our loved ones, our, our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, that the, the enemy has blinded them. And sometimes as we talk, it can be difficult to break into that. I won't go into the details of it because it's really not, a, not really this is not the right at, uh, time or the ability to go through this well. and would take way more than we can devote to it. But today, there was a time when there was absolute truth and then truth became very relative and very subjective. But now it's even gone to a whole other level to where logic is not followed anymore, to where anybody's perception of reality it's taken as their gospel. It's taken as gospel truth. And when you bring facts and even scientifically and statistically and all these things, those conversations, that people are like, well, but this is my perception and it's true in my world. And it's in such a way that people are isolated. They're, they're insulated from the truth. The enemy's done such a good job that you can't even have a rational uh, a conversation about what's real because you get identified as, you know, being against them or antagonistic. And it's just, it's insane to me. So we can get discouraged and frustrated in those conversations because they go nowhere. But I want us to recognize that the weapons that God has given us are powerful. They're, they're divine by nature. They're weapons that God has given us. They're stronger than anything that you and I will face. And they're able to destroy the strongholds of thinking is what he's talking about. He's not talking about political strongholds. He's not talking about anything of the kingdom of the, this world. Nothing to do with the political state of affairs of anywhere. But he says the weapons that God gives us to engage this thinking, this knowledge, these opinions that dare to raise themselves up against the knowledge of God, they are powerful to destroy those arguments and those opinions. Friends, you and I are resourced. We are loaded to the hilt, if you will. We are, God has given us amazing resources in which to engage these difficult conversations, in which to work through those things, in which to shine as a light in his world, in which to live for and to stand for and to, to share the truth of his gospel. They are a 
powerful weapons. First and more, foremost, they are the word of his truth. You see, it's God's word, that truth that's powerful. It's living. It's sharper, the Bible says, than a two-edged sword, razor sharp. Any soldier going into battle whose life depended on the, the, his, his offensive weapon would make sure that sword was sharp. It was ready to go. And the Bible is sharper than that. It's able to defi- divide between the thoughts and the motivations under those thoughts. Have you ever said something before and you're like, where'd that come from? Sometimes it gets you in trouble. You know, you're like, ooh, I didn't mean that. And you kind of, you know, somebody else kind of brings it up in front of you. You see, the Bible has the ability to cut between what you say and the things that you even think behind the motivation, behind the, the hurt or the pain or the frustration or the wrong. It's able to fillet like a sharper than a scalpel to separate out those things. And you and I, as we have the Word of God, it is able to speak into people's lives, to, to lay open, to lay bare the truth from error, error and to speak into the world. I can't help but think of the spiritual armor that we've been given, the weapons that God gives us of Ephesians 6, that he gives us the helmet of salvation to remind us of our security and our hope that we have in Jesus Christ when we're assailed by these thoughts. After a while, you can feel like you're, you're taking fire from the culture and, 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 and the individuals around us. But our salvation protects us. We have the breast, breastplate of righteousness, like the, the armor that a soldier would wear. Uh, in Roman times today, even a body armor, that, that righteousness, that God has put his righteousness on us. That there is the shame and the guilt has been removed. But in this context, this application, we should not, we should not underestimate the righteousness that we live out before those individuals, the thinking that we live out of a a saved, a redeemed person who's been delivered from their sins, that our thinking and our speaking and as we live, those are powerful weapons. You see, people may disagree with what you believe, but when you and I day in and day out live righteously, live and speak truth and mercy and live that out, That is a powerful testimony to the truth of the gospel. And it has a way of of drilling in and and, and laying things bare in people's lives. The Bible in Ephesians 6 says part of the weapons that we wear are feet that are prepared to share the gospel of truth. Anyone who's ever played sports knows that footwork is important and every sport has the footwear that's unique to them because if you slip and fall, you, you you, you don't win the games, right? Well, just much like a soldier, a soldier cannot afford to lose their footing. And when Paul was giving this analogy to us, there are feet that are mobile, that are agile, that are able and ready to share the gospel of salvation for people. You see, the world around us has believed lies, all kinds of things swirling in their head. And the gospel is what cuts through those things. And it's powerful in our life. And then we have the sword, the word of God that I've already touched base on that's so sharp that we're able to, 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 to speak those truths and allow God to work in a person's life. And Ephesians, when it encapsulates all of those, and the shield of faith, right, that we are able to, to block the fiery darts of the enemy coming our way. And on top of that, in Ephesians, when Paul shares, is that we pray at all times for these individuals. You see, folks, God has equipped us. 
He's outfitted us. We've gone to the armory when he saves us and he provides these things for us to make us ready for the, the spiritual warfare of those in our lives to, to winsomely and powerfully speak truth into their lives. So we shouldn't walk around with our heads low. We shouldn't walk around feeling defeated. We shouldn't walk around feeling despaired, feeling threatened, feeling like somehow that, that the world's fallen apart. Instead, we should recognize this is the same thing that's been going on for thousands of years and God has equipped us and given us what we need to engage in our homes with our kids, to engage in our extended family, to engage with those around us, to, to speak out his truth. I mean, pragmatically, guys, everybody who doesn't know Jesus yet is completely blinded and in darkness and spiritually just, just spiritually dead and it takes the God of heaven to do a miracle in their life. And if God did that in your life, he can do that in the next person's life, and the next person's life, and the next person's life. And if you and I don't believe that, really, then we're either emasculating God in the process, or we're building ourselves up like somehow we were just special and figured this all out and got it figured out, but the next guy can't. And both of those are wrong and deadly. All we're asking is, is for God to do the same thing in other people's lives that he did in ours and to repeat that whole process. So know that we have a spiritual battle that we engage in. Now, the third thing I want to recognize, though, even though we engage in a spiritual battle, we need to focus, we need to focus on the thinking. We need to engage the thinking and separate those out the thinking that's underneath the opinions, that are underneath the surface issues. So much of what has the world in an uproar around us today is surface stuff. And we need to engage the thinking that's below that. Let me, let me follow the example of mom and dad and how to engage our kids. And, but this applies across the board. So for you and for me, for us to engage the thinking well... The, the mindsets, the, the values underneath, kind of like peeling the layers of the onion. Mom and dad, it means that you and I need to be in relationship with our kids around us, right? We know kids need socialization, and I'm not an educator. I'm not a child psychologist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm a nothing, all right? But we know that kids need that, that socialization. But can I tell you that Kids need mom and dad's socialization more than what I hear about in the culture around us. I know kids need to be around other kids, but they need to be around the thinking of mom and dad a whole lot more than we give them credit for. Well, Sean, are you saying that, you could, that, that kids shouldn't be going to other schools? No, I'm not talking about that stuff. I just mean they need access to you. And you've got to be in their life a lot. Because if you're not, they're like a, a, a beaker. They're like a, a, a jar. And there's others that are going to be filling that all up. And if you're not filling up some of that, then all that else that they're going to get is all of the, the influences all of those around them. And so you and I have to be in relationship with them. We have to know what they're thinking. 
because we're engaged with them. We need to be engaged with the culture around us and kind of know what the culture around them is feeding them too, the popular culture and all of that, so that we can engage spiritually and use some of those weapons of warfare with our, our own children and our, our own homes, our own teens and even young adults. And then along the way, we need to ask them questions. Why is that? Why do you think that? Things about their life, things about the culture around them. We need to learn to not, not just tell them what they should think. That's a whole lot easier, mom and dad. It's a whole lot easier for all of us. We'll just think this way and everything will be good. But increasingly, and it starts at a younger age than probably we all give it credit for, definitely long by the time they're teens and, and on their way through junior high and high school, We've got to not so much be answering the question of what. We've got to be answering the why, and we've got to help explore them, help them to understand the why of what's going on in their world. And what we're doing along the way is we need to help them to learn to objectively evaluate the world around them, the thinking and the beliefs and all the things, that the ideas that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. That by nature is prideful. God is the one who knows everything. And we have the manual here that explains the way the world works. And if you go against that, by nature, it's a lifting up and a pride. And we have to help them evaluate that. Not, not so much being judgmental to the world around us, but to help examine, to help raise them in such a way, to rear them in such a way that they are beginning to, to not just be sucked into everything, but they can stand and evaluate and think about the way all of those things are. They can understand and think about below just the, the, the common things of life that they're living out, that they can begin to evaluate and make choices in the middle of that. And when you and I begin to evaluate and ask questions and, and live with them in, in, in those ways, and what we're doing, we're beginning to bring God's Word to bear. And well, what do you, how do you think that applies to what God says? Or why do you think God said this? Or why was that such an issue? And what we're doing is, is we're wrestling for their souls in the culture and the world around us. Those are the kinds of conversations that you and I need to have with people in our lives, to begin to get to the thinking, to get to the logic, to get to the, the heart and the motivations behind that. And when we bring God's Word to bear in that, that's where the real warfare is. See, the warfare is not on all the symbolical stuff. It's not on all the stuff that the world gets all wrapped up around in today. There's a layer below that. And that's where you and I need to engage. The last thing, and, and I'm done. Not only do we need to recognize there's a spiritual warfare, not only do we need to really focus on engaging the conversationally, the thinking with individuals. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's engaging them, and they're listening and hearing a false gospel and false narratives and all kinds of stuff around them. But the last thing that, that I want us to recognize is we need to avoid the drama with them. We need to avoid it. Paul goes on in the rest of chapter 10. He's giving us a, a little bit of a blueprint about avoiding the junk. Paul goes on. I won't take time to read it, but he talks about how these individuals were talking about stuff and, and how they were had a separate standard that they were going by of how to live. And Paul then makes a very 
uh, I don't know, philosophical and profound statement. He says in verse 12, he says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those, those individuals that they're listening to, some of those who are commending themselves but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. It's another way of saying it is, that's dumb. He says, those people who are claiming to be apostles and changing and subverting the truth and you guys are listening to this junk and taking in these lies, they're comparing themselves with one another. In other words, they're saying, well... I'm, I'm, I'm one of the good guys because look at all of this and how I am in comparison to all these other angels. But look at Paul. He's not because he's comparing it. In other words, they have a standard of life and a standard of right and wrong that's more valued by the mob mentality than they are by the truth of God's word. Look what Paul says down below. Paul says, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not even going to step on that landmine and begin to, to compare myself to them. I'm getting out of that game altogether. He, he says this, he says in verse 17, Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. When you and I have a conflict of values, when our beliefs and our values and our love and our heart for God and the truths that we have come to rely on, when they clash full throttle with the culture around us, we are at risk in that moment to get frustrated, to make personal attacks on those that we disagree with. That's human nature, isn't it? I don't care whether we're talking sports, we're talking, you know, in business and coworkers. Whenever two people disagree on something and their strong opinions, the tendency to very often is to not let the argument or disagreement be about the thoughts, the knowledge, but just to make it personal and to begin to attack the character on the other individual. You see it at workplace, right? Somebody's trying to get ahead or has the idea, and they start tearing the other person down. And you'll hear it. People all of a sudden will act like they're changing the subject of the conversation. Well, you do know he does X, Y, Z. You do know that she did this. And what they're doing is they're subtly shifting the conversation. And what you and I do when we've done this, and we have, that we begin tearing at the person. And if you read carefully through chapter 10, Paul never tears at these other individuals who are attacking them, who are trying to rip the church that he started right away from God. And in fact, he's not even trying to make the church loyal to himself. If you read it closely, he's just trying to keep them loyal to God when we see that in chapter 11. So you and I, when we're engaging people who disagree differently, we don't need to get all frothy at the mouth. Our security is not found in whether or not they agree with us or not. We lift our eyes to God, and God is the one who approves or commends us. We don't try to commend ourselves. Our, we don't go on in a personal attack. We stay out of all of that drama and allow God to be the one who judges and discerns our life 
and we stand before him without the need to commend ourselves to anyone else, to make a, a defense or any of those kinds of things, we stay out of all of that. You see, mom and dad, sometimes when our kids have those ideas, we can take it personal. And we can, in the heat of that moment, we can get upset and we can come at our kids and we can get mad at, you know, whatever is going on and speaking into it. And because we get into that, it undermines our credibility and it undermines the truth of the gospel. And Paul just said, guys, I don't need to even go there. I'm just appealing before God. God is the one. He's the one who commends in our life. So, folks, I don't know how these truths hit home to you. Hopefully, there's something in here somewhere for each of us to, to learn and to take home and to be reminded of. At the very least, we all should walk around with our head held high and know that God has outfitted us. He's given us what we need to engage the world around us. God's weapons are always stronger than what you and I will ever face, and we ought not ever forget that. The truth of his word, those things are real. Maybe you need to go to the next step, and maybe you need to study a little bit up on what somebody's wrestling with that you're trying to share truth with. Maybe you need to dig in a little bit to what your kids are learning or working through, or maybe what your friend is buying into. I don't know. But at the end of the day, truth always wins over a lie. I'm not saying that people will always eventually believe the gospel. No. History has shown, the Bible tells us, and we will continue to know that people will hold to the lies. They will hold to their dark deeds because they, they want to hide from all of that truth. But along the way, if we live this way consistently in our life, there will be individuals in our life that God will use us profoundly to help them to know that truth. And if we use these principles well, then regardless of the outcome, we can live day after day after day knowing that we're an instrument in God's hands, that our head is held high, and we can live and engage the world around us effectively, not, not foolishly, not ignorantly, but effectively as we live and share the truth of Jesus Christ with those around us. So one of those things in there in your heart, grab a hold of, and as you respond to God, pray and ask God to use you in that. Maybe you've got something in your life, Sean, I know exactly what the conversation is that I'm having trouble with, and I don't understand it. Then I would say, let's talk. Because God's truth and every crazy thing that ever shows up in the culture around it God's truth speaks to that, and God's standard is there for us. So let's talk. Let's have those conversations in our life groups individually and together as a church family as we live out that truth winsomely, graciously among a world that desperately needs a reason to believe in Jesus. So pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Help us to live out that truth. Help us to not simply just hold the fort down, Father, but help us to winsomely, boldly to, to share and live that gospel. You've given us the 
all the spiritual armor that we need. And your word is powerful. Help us to use it appropriately. Father, I know there are many Christians that seem to beat people up with it. And Lord, we should be firm with what we believe, but we ought to use it well, and we ought to use it wisely, and ought to use it more like a, a surgeon that, that makes a cut to bring healing, to poke out, to cut out the cancer or whatever the, the infected material might be. Lord, I pray that you would make us skillful in that. Give us wisdom spiritually and understanding, I pray. And help us, Father, in all of these relationships to, to effectively be your ambassadors. Father, I pray this in the holy, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, guys, have a, have a great week. Don't forget, next week we're going to have uh, Pastor Seth Switzer. He's going to share, just share out of God's Word with us. And along the way, he'll tell us his story. We wanted you guys to hear that before we think about uh, whether or not and how to best support them. So have a, have a blessed week. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.